Can Manchester United just stop? Just, just, just for a bit. It, this week, good grief, man. I've had an epiphany. <laughs> right, yeah. Do you, want, do, you want, do you want to give do that epiphany after I've done the intro? Because your epiphanies tend to last a good minute or so. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Go for it. That's fair enough. Everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Red Voices. Thank you so much for joining us. Just the four games and three defeats and one win to discuss over the course of this week, including the resignation of United Women's boss Casey Stoney and a new contract for Edison Cavani as we head into the last three games of the season. I mean, not that much to discuss this week. To begin with, we'll have a chat with Richard. How are you doing? Don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> not overly pleased. This isn't the best day of the year, is it? No, well, I think this is interesting for us because normally we tend to be on the same page and tend to be quite measured, even if, you know, say after games like we were feeling after Leipzig, we were both particularly annoyed with United and the way that they conspired to fall 3-0 down in a must-win Champions League game due to a terrible tactical performance and all-round performance, to be honest, but... After today, I'm just, yeah, I'm frustrated to lose to Liverpool. That's never fun. And there were several moments. I mean, I I haven't shouted that much at my TV just for small, terrible decisions. And I have, in a long time, that was an absolute mess from United this evening at home to Liverpool. But there's just so much going on and around it that as crap as it was to lose 4-2 at home, our sixth home defeat of the season in the league, I am giving United a a lot of rope there i i'm just where do you want to start i mean we've got any of the last four games to discuss because we haven't spoken since uh the second leg against roma that got us into the europa league final in gdansk and there's been so much going on this week where would you ideally like to start um i don't think there's a lot to say about the, the roma game in isolation i think it it looking back on it now with hindsight it's sort of interlinked with my with my epiphany <clears throat> in fact all of the all, all four games are well no no the Leicester game isn't, but the, the three other games are. I don't think there's there's really much to much to say about the about the Leicester game other than we just picked a completely completely <laughs> scratch team. Mason Greenwood was ace again, but unsurprisingly we lost because Leicester are a good team and we we had our reserves out. Yeah, I mean the the Roma game was good fun up until maybe the second half, and then the lack of Wamba Saka and Shaw just completely killed us, didn't it? You know, it was Seco and Cristante getting those two goals in a couple of minutes, and then you know obviously the Bruno Cavani link helped with that great header not long after that. But never nice to lose a game like that, especially not in the Europa League semi final. But the hard work had already been done the week before, right? With the six two win, you know the aggregate victory was eight five. It was a ridiculous result in all, all told in that sort of in that two-legged tie and it's never nice to lose in especially in that circumstance considering just how lackadaisical we were in the second half but we were lackadaisical you know, in the first half yeah well yeah yeah to a degree yeah i think we just started slowly but it was one of those things like it was similar to how you know to how the game ebbed and flowed against villa like when we actually got going and started causing problems they couldn't live with us and we saw that again tonight against liverpool so you know a certain mitigation for that and then moving again to the villa game which I actually thought United started, oddly enough, quite well. First 10 minutes were good, and then they just lost their way a bit, didn't they? My epiphany is that United don't aren't consistent and aren't consistent within matches because they have periods of games or games when they're too complacent or too, I don't know, just too too relaxed or whatever the reason is. You know, United don't go behind first so as regularly as we do without there being a mentality issue. And, and we don't come back the way we do without without that being linked to a mentality issue. And it seems to me that we rarely win games comfortably. And it kind of feels like we need we need there to be serious jeopardy to up it, to up it to to play at the level that we we should 
be playing out more consistently. I think that Villa game was just another example. And you know, once we'd once we'd got our head around, once we conceded, and once we got our kind of head around the game and really started to put the pedal to the floor, then we were by far the better team for the remainder of the game. Um, and in, in isolation, that was a really really good win because Villa are a good side, and it essentially assured us of Champions League if that wasn't already assured, and probably second place as well. So it was a pleasing performance in the end, but I think it was just another example of the wider trend. Yeah, I mean, the we're looking at the individual goals, Fred and McTominay dropping another clangor for the most part in that game, and the passing between the two of them was poor. You know, Fred selling McTominay at the river, a poor touch from McTominay, and Lindelof getting a touch on the ball, forcing Traore out wide. Now, I've got sympathy for him to a degree because Traore's shot from those sort of angles, nine times out of ten, never goes in the top corner and does Dean Henderson on the spot. But you can avoid that situation even getting anywhere near happening if you get tighter to your man and deal with the ball in the first place, which Lindelof did not do. Um, and, you know, the second half was much better in terms of United actually taking the game by the scruff of the net. You know, it was great work by Pogba to win the penalty. Bruno slots at home. Of course he does. Greenwood catches Martinez uh, unaware with the second goal. And you know, a couple of hairy moments here and there. But then, you know, excellent work by Rashford, who again had a really difficult game in that one in terms of finding the right men when United were finding a little bit of space. Excellent cross and Cavani just not steers it home for 3-1. Obviously hilarious watching Ollie Watkins get sent off, but probably the biggest moment of that game was Maguire's injury. You know, he's he's up there in the stands the last couple of games and with a space boot, and he looks like a massive doubt for the Europa League final, which is especially after what we saw today, that's that's a big concern. And I guess that sort of leads into the Leicester game. The furor that was provoked by Solskjaer's 10 changes in that game. I mean, it was just a joke, wasn't it? Of course he's going to have to make wholesale changes. You know, Jurgen Klopp was speaking about this in the lead-up to the game tonight. He said, of course I understand why you had to do that. You can't play the same team three times over the space of four days, five days. You know, it's just ridiculous. Of course we were going to have to make wholesale changes. And whilst a lot of that team aren't guaranteed first-team starters, they're still first-team squad members who play plenty of football either with United or with other clubs. So I don't buy the argument that it was a side sent out purely to lose because we equalized very quickly after we went behind yeah i mean you know we we responded didn't we and that's you know that was an impressive part of the game and it was a it was really nice to see ahmed get an assist and i think i think generally he had a, a pretty promising game considering his age and level of experience and greenwood just scored a total a, what, what, what was really a one of the most Greenwood goals you'll see, wasn't it? Um, oh, I mean, it's one of my favourite Greenwood goals. I mean, shout out to Thomas for his excellent opening goal five minutes beforehand. But the way Greenwood pulls the ball to the right-hand side of the goal and drags it across Schmeichel into the far left corner was absolutely exquisite. You know, I, he's normalising scoring goals that strikers 10, 15 years older than him would score and it would be business as usual. It's mm. ridiculous that his he's got that much talent and is able to score goals like that at his age. It, it was remarkable. One of my favourite Greenwood goals for sure. Uh, yeah, and I think I think United suffered tonight from from not starting Greenwood as well. Um, I think well got... they couldn't though, could they? Not after <clears throat> no, 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 he no. played the entire <clears throat> game. No, no, no. I just I just think that, that 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 him not being able to play those three games or anybody being able to play those three games cost us a bit tonight because we we ended up forcing Rashford onto the right and Rashford's in scratchy form anyway and he's not he's always um far less effective on that on that right hand side. Um and I think we United immediately improved once once Greenwood came on. And I think he's just a level of danger now that 
defences are they're aware of but they're also afraid of because how do you how do you deal with a guy like him who's got so many threats you know you can't shepherd him onto one onto one foot or the other because he's just a don with both of them you know he's got a low center of gravity he's much stronger now than he was you can't really bully him too much he's got a way of just creating space for shots hasn't he you know he's he's become a real weapon in the positive sense over the season even if he scored slightly less frequently than he did last season mm. uh, I mean the second half was incredibly difficult for United to manage you know it was a funny game in the sense that you could see Nemanja Matic trying to roll back the years in what I would describe as potentially a shop window performance mm. um, maybe there's a certain manager over in the Italian capital looking over thinking oh maybe you could do a job for me um, who knows and, you know, his touch and the way he was using the ball at times in the first half was belying his age shall we say um but in the second half Matic and van der Beek couldn't get on the ball at all you know it was one-way traffic for a good what, half an hour of that second half and United did try and turn it around after Soyuncu's headed goal you know it was you know it's been spoken about so much try not to make changes right before a corner you know Rashford completely loses Soyuncu and he's got a free header and again De Gea had no chance you know De Gea came into the game and he made a couple of decent saves but had no chance on either goal and Leicester were able to carve out that 2-1 win without too much of a trouble after that you know Fernandez flashed one wide when hitting it first time close to the penalty area when he could have potentially done better but no real complaints you know after making that many changes and giving the fixture list you chalk that one up to <sighs> circumstance you know it, it's rubbish to have lost it was at the time rubbish to have lost our fifth game at Old Trafford but given again we were playing a team that had a lot to play for in Leicester City I'm not surprised we lost it now going into the game tonight given everything that's happened you know in the preparation to this you know United players were at Old Trafford what six hours prior to kickoff in preparation because there were protests outside Old Trafford with, with presumably a name with to getting the game cancelled or postponed again you know, it, it's a very strange set of circumstances to be playing this game under anyway. Now, I know you're not happy with <laughs> what has happened this evening. So why don't you uh, fill me in with where you're at in the in the aftermath of the 4-2 defeat? I think there are mitigations, as as you said. I was listening to Talk of Devils podcast, and they were saying that essentially United have hardly trained on grass, or hardly trained with a football um, in the last week. Um, and almost every session has just been a, a, a warm down session and um, a sort of iPad led tactical session. You've got Liverpool who've had five days to prepare physically and tactically for the game. And you've got United who have had basically no time on grass and, and just had, had had a look at iPads really to, to see how they're going to play tactically. Um, I think Oli got the game a bit wrong tactically as well. And obviously... There's there's a definite fatigue element, um, but for me, one of the, the most frustrating things tonight was was going back to my epiphany, which is that that United slack off when they think things when they think things are done or nearly done, um, and that's what it looked like to me. It wasn't just about it wasn't just about tactics. It wasn't just about individual performances. <clears throat> we were losing all of the fifty fifties. It wasn't about technique in that in that sense. It was just about commitment, and. I mean, the, the kind of defensive mishaps and conceding from um, set pieces is an ongoing issue. And I have I have some sympathy for Ollie in that regard, in that we just don't have time on the pitch on, in training to, to really work on these things very significantly. Um, and also the fact that Maguire wasn't there. And whilst I don't think Maguire is the perfect centre-back, I think he gets far more stick than he deserves. And you could see 
the difference it made him not being there. You know, if you look at if you look at the the raw statistics of what Maguire does, it's not just it's not just his defending. It's the fact that he sorts and carries the ball out from the back. You know, even even as far as into the midfield, and and he's got by far the best distribution of any of our centre backs as well. Oh, I mean, Lindelof when he actually when he gets space can actually ping out a pass to Marcus Rashford whenever he wants. You know, he's exceptional at that. But I I, I take the point for sure. You know, I think between having known Maguire and, you know, it, it was an opportunity for me personally to see Dean Henderson step up and organise the two of them because we know that Bailly's prone to mistakes and we know that Lindelof's prone to mistakes. Yeah. They've got eccentricities that make them far from the ideal centre-back partnership. And I knew that that was what Solskjaer was going to go with because, you know, I, I couldn't see him chucking to Anzebi into the mix for that game. But... Yeah, I mean, after a positive start, you know, United were pressing Liverpool quite well in the open sort of 25 minutes. And then, you know, Cavani arguably should have scored when Alisson passes out to him limply. He takes an extra touch and somehow manages to fire it wide. I don't know whether or not that was just a lack of focus or what it was or surprise, but a man of his quality should be hitting the target from there at the very least. Or just burying it, it was mad. And, you know, we got a little bit lucky, but, you know, something that was mentioned on commentary tonight which is spot on in terms of the fact that Wan-Bissaka has been given a lot of space over the last course of this season because people don't tend to rate his attacking qualities you know he's twice in the last week he's provided an important assist because he is getting enough space and people aren't getting tight to him he finds Bruno and I wonder if the dubious gold panels might have something to say about that because it didn't look to me like it was going in Nat Phillips definitely made sure it was going in though which was nice of him yeah, can't really add to anything much to that. I think I, I believe Wan Bissaka's now on the same number of assists as Shaw is. I definitely, I definitely agree. I think his attacking play has improved a lot, um, and more importantly, his productivity in an attacking sense has improved a lot as well. Um, you know, United obviously got a bit lucky for the goal, but unfortunately, again, I think coming back to that mentality thing, um, we then just stopped playing. Uh, I think, <clears throat> I think the game was too easy again. There wasn't, the, they didn't feel pressure. Um, they thought we're in the Champions League. We're a goal up in this game. We're gonna, you know, either scroll this or it doesn't matter too much anyway. And and that the, the impact of that was you saw one team that was incredibly hungry and who 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 were quite obviously desperate, and you saw one team which wasn't desperate and really didn't put in the same degree of concentration and effort. Well, yeah, and you're completely right. I mean, what I would say, and this has been pointed out to me this evening, Liverpool have played three times since April 18th, and we played six games in that period. Now, obviously not everyone who played tonight started in midweek, but they would have still have had to prepare for that. You know, is there not as disappointing as it was to see United trot out that performance in the second half, how much can we just chalk that down up to just general fatigue? And, you know, let's remind ourselves that we are coming towards the end of the pandemic season in which United have really struggled at times, you know, when we're not the only club to have had these sort of dips in form, you know, obviously three defeats in the space of a week is ridiculous, but we've also played four times in that in the last eight days, which is, it, it, it just doesn't surprise me that United, now you've definitely got a point when you're talking about the way in which United tend to lose focus if there's not something too much riding on it, or we don't have like an impetus to actually go on and win. And especially in points tonight, it, you, United did look every inch aside that was preparing for the end of a season and waiting for something bigger. And in the context of playing a game against our most disliked rivals, that is has a certain degree of being unacceptable, especially when you're playing at home. Yeah, and it, it's no no fun to lose to Liverpool home or away. But I just can't divorce the circumstances of this game from the result and the performance. I mean, 
it, it just feels in particular. But I will say, looking at the way that second half unfolded, it was remarkable just how sloppy we were and how easy Liverpool were getting success in that press. You know, it was everyone, wasn't it, Rich? It was. I mean, Luke Shaw had dropped arguably his worst performance in a good year or so, I would say, in terms of decision-making. I mean, if we're going back to goals, the initial Jotter equaliser is just United not clearing from a corner and he taps on Nat Phillips's initial shot. Firmino gets away from Pogba after Pogba concedes a free kick because Bruno's stuck at the other end of the pitch and it's a pretty easy-headed goal just at half-time. And then to give away... I mean, that third goal was probably the worst we conceded this year in terms of how many times we could actually have gotten rid of it. It's Fred trying to do a no-look pass out to Shaw and undercooking it. It's Shaw trying to run out through the middle of the pitch and not passing it and losing it. And then it's Henderson spilling the initial Alexander-Arnold shot right at Firmino to tap in the rebound. I mean, how many times could we have gotten rid of that ball? And it just never happened. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess if anything else, it's reminded us what the imperatives are for this summer. I guess, um, you know, I've, I've I've said before that Fred has been very important in a tactical sense, in a pressing sense, regaining the ball. But that isn't of enough importance to carry the the, the sheer number of technical mistakes that he makes that that end up costing United. Again, I think the, the last week you've seen you've seen Lindelof being too weak at. At Villa and, and conceding Fred again having a bit of a disaster class. Um, Tomine's passing was absolutely abject tonight, and so you're kind of seeing you're seeing the same areas which which are sort of undermining us. And and I have to say, I've very much been a bit of a cheerleader for Henderson in recent weeks, but I think he did really poorly for two of the four goals. The third one that you just spoke about, and I think the fourth one, I just couldn't understand his angles. He neither came out nor stayed on his line and basically gave Salah two-thirds of a goal to aim at. Well, I mean, that's exactly what you want if you're running clear on goal in that sort of instance. You want the keeper to stay near his line and you just hit it across him. I mean, it, it was a really... I mean, given the circumstances, there is a certain amount of mitigation, as I've said. But for Henderson, especially considering that we are nearing end game clearly when it comes to Solskjaer having to make a decision on whether it's Henderson or De Gea that leads United into the next season... This is exactly the sort of performance that you don't want to see him dropping, surely. Mm. you know. I know that he has been much more vocal and works much better with Harry Maguire beside him, but there comes a time, and I know this will only improve the more he plays, and you're presuming that he's going to be at United for some time and gets the opportunity to further cement and get used to his role in this team, which is obviously still developing. But it's an opportunity to take charge and organise, and he was as much a victim of lapses of concentration and poor errors as anyone else around him. And that's exactly what you don't want to be seeing at this stage when United are putting a lot of faith in him. And, and you know, there again, you give him a bit of leeway today because he wasn't the only one who made massive mistakes leading to goals. But it will certainly not help, put it that way. You know, the only other thing to take from the game, I guess, is Rashford scoring again despite not having an excellent game. You know, he looked tired. You know, it, it's the sharpness with his passing, I think, especially when we're in transition and we're attacking, that worries me at the minute. The decision making just isn't there, you know. And he, he finished the ball well. I, I think um, Nat Phillips gets a touch on it or Williams gets a touch on it that's helping it through. But yeah, it, got, maybe got a little bit lucky with the finish, but. And a poor decision when trying to go for a shot to Allison's near post when Cavani was well placed at 3-2. That could have changed the game completely. 
But in the context of the result, Liverpool should have sewn that up way, way sooner than they did with Salah's late goal. You know, it could easily have been a 6-1, 6-2 drubbing. And I think the frustration more of that game for me was that given Liverpool had Phillips and Williams, who didn't look comfortable at any real point all night, United could easily have been drawing 3-3 within a couple of minutes of Rashford getting the United's second goal in the 6-8 minute that we didn't put them under more pressure. And it's the incapability that we talk about when it comes to the McFred axis that just cannot get hold of games and control them, can it? No, they're not good enough on the ball. I think you can play play one player like that if they're a very effective sort of shielding player for the back four. But I don't think you can get away with two. And and the the way that, that we've been levering Pogbrin on the left wing has has been quite effective in certain games. Um, you know, I think he had a stinker tonight, but he has actually been probably one of United's best players in the last two or three months. But if you work on the basis that Bruno essentially doesn't really play as a midfielder, he's almost he's almost like an auxiliary forward, isn't he? Or a sort of second second striker, stroke creator. You've then got a, mid, a midfield pairing that have very limited technical skills their passing's pretty poor Fred's monumentally prone to giving the ball away in his own final third and so it does it does make things more difficult I think you come we kind of come back to the the difficulty that Ollie has in terms of that midfield balance because I don't necessarily think you can play it's 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 effective to play Pogba in in a in a hold sort of deeper role with with one of those two with usually with Fred because We've seen that he is far more effective and far more dangerous further up the pitch. It does really look like you'd expect Matic probably to be moving on in the summer, or you'd hope so. It does look like United possibly have to sort of focus on getting a sort of holding midfielder stroke playmaker in there alongside a, a, a centre back. But yeah, I mean it is a problem when we have to when we have to use those guys in. Uh, I mean, I do think it's effective in some games. I don't want to say that it never ever works because we we have actually put in some good performances with them there. But we we clearly do lose a degree of control and creativity when they're when they're there. Well, when you see mistakes on the level that we've seen tonight from almost everyone on the pitch, again, I, I keep talking about the fatigue and the tiredness that comes into the equation. That's one thing. I think the problem with McTominay and Fred is you still see these mistakes, right? You know, you think to Fred against PSG dropping that performance and getting himself sent off, he can be so erratic. And he had a good game against Spurs, for instance, in the second half and came out and was a you know, a good reason as to why we won that game. That duo can work together and complement the four players ahead of them quite well when, you know, on occasion in the right sort of setup. Maybe not consistently though, and that that's the big problem is that there still seems to be such a hodgepodge element to this United side in some ways, doesn't there, in terms of trying to get the pieces to fit together correctly. I don't feel like Solskjaer has got the proper fully formed picture that he fully needs. You know, and we talk about, I mean, I've quite enjoyed, or, you know, I appreciate the benefits of the setup that we've got in terms of playing McFred uh, in that double pivot with Pogba and Fernandes and then two you know, of Cavani, Rashford, Greenwood up ahead of them because it's good to see Pogba getting forward a little bit more. And I do think maybe the last week it hasn't necessarily worked as well as it can do because everyone's absolutely knackered. But it does pose a problem when it comes to what happens with Rashford. And 
whilst you put him on the left and he instantly looks better, you then have to pull Pogba back into a deeper lying midfield role, which isn't the best position for him. And it's just figuring out how to best utilize these pieces because Solskjaer's got a lot at his disposal in terms of attacking talent, but not necessarily the talent behind them to properly get the best out of them. And, you know, we've seen again tonight, you know, I had been wondering whether or not United were going to dip into the transfer market for another centre-back, considering that Bayer is renewed his contract. And it, it just feels like the more we drag this out, the longer that we don't properly address what is a glaring problem, because it was set pieces all over tonight, you know, and that we were a huge problem for us. And how long can Solskjaer really let that go? Because set pieces and conceding terrible goals and defensive disorganisation have really hampered United at key points this season. And I just wonder how much Solskjaer's going to be shooting himself in the foot if he doesn't go out and spend a medium sum on a good defender that can really complement Maguire well. Because I, I do wonder just how much that's going to undermine us going into the next season if we don't fix that. But there we go. I mean, that that's six defeats at home this season in the league. It doesn't feel great. And City obviously wrapped up the league as a result of the win for Leicester on Tuesday. I mean, there was a bit of a shrug of the shoulders. I mean, there were part of that Leicester game was actually quite fun. It was nice seeing Elanga start. It was nice seeing Ahmad start. And it was a... An interesting team for a good sort of 45 minutes. And, you know, the game tonight is the game tonight, isn't it, Rich? You know, it's mm. it's rubbish to lose to Liverpool and given the circumstances. I mean, going into the last three games of the season, before we take a break, you know, Fulham and then Wolves and then the game against Villarreal in the Europa League final. Are you concerned? I think there are concerns. We've got five days till till the Fulham game. Is it on Tuesday? We um, sure do. <clears throat> that's that's quite actually quite handily placed because it obviously gives us five days break and some time to actually work on um on kind of tactical things or defensive things or whatever whatever we need to do it's the first you know only the second time really since September we've had the opportunity to do that I think we've seen what a concern it is that Maguire is missing and, and what impact that has we should definitely be worried about him not being back for the Europa League final I would be tempted to stick my first team out assuming they're all fit against Fulham they've got a week until the final get them winning a game kind of improve confidence just keep them keep them ticking over and then the Wolves game you can do what you like just stick out whoever you like oh but that could be the unbeaten run away from home gone oh, I, I can't I'd rather win the Europa League than go yeah yeah i do feel like there is i guess you know with, with ceiling top four qualification now united's eyes and focus is going to drift over to the europa league which is all well and good you know i mean ultimately if we win that trophy then i don't really care what happens in the next two games to a degree but you've got to go out and win that game now haven't you you know i mean mm. it, losing these two games with the circumstances not fantastic but acceptable to a degree United have really got to turn up in that final in Poland. You know, I don't think Villarreal are going to be anywhere near an easy ride. You know, Arsenal were giving them, admittedly, a lot of uh, space and effort in that first game. But Villarreal have shown as well. I mean, it's not necessarily you can use those four nil-nil draws that we've had with them historically to build a certain picture. But that second leg at the Emirates last week. Arsenal created next to nothing and they had plenty of the ball. So I would certainly be concerned at that if United are going to get a lot of possession, how well they're actually going to pull this team from side to side. Because that's something that Solskjaer's United have really struggled with. And especially coming into the end of the season, low on energy, I do wonder how much that could bite us coming into it. 
Anyway, time for a quick break. We have a small favour to ask, friends. If you're enjoying the show, please help spread the word. Leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Acast, or any podcast app you use. It's a small thing that helps shows like ours to move up podcast rankings and generate more listeners, and it would be hugely appreciated. Right, it might surprise you, Rich, to know I've got some feelings about what's been happening with United Women this week. Go on, then. Hit me up with them. Oh, good grief. I mean, I'm sure, as most of you have already heard, Casey Stoney resigned earlier on this week. Uh ahead of United's final game of the season against Leicester in the fifth round of the FA Cup. Citing, well, unofficially citing uh, training ground resources, facilities and investment, which, I mean, a a time where United have just been on a complete shovel load of, of terrible PR, of absolute nonsense, of a lot of chickens coming home to roost in terms of bad planning, bad investment, broken promises. It just absolutely stunk the house out to see that Stoney, who has been with United since the women's team reform, was a huge part of getting us back on track, back into the Women's Super League at the first time of asking, dominated the Women's Championship. And, you know, our season ended this past weekend, beat Everton 2-0 at home, but we finished one point behind Arsenal for that third Champions League spot. Now, United's form, as I've mentioned several times since the turn of the year, has been poor. We've lost five games, including losing to the top three above us and to Brighton and Reading, which were, given the circumstances, poor results. But... Given the mitigation, hearing that United women haven't necessarily been given the correct provisions at Carrington, they've been shifted between uh, the old cliff ground, which has not been updated despite promises in 2018 that it would be. Given that it doesn't seem like they've been very welcomed in terms of their presence at Carrington and the amount of space and given the modifications have been sorted out, hearing that they have to do a 10-minute walk to get to toilet facilities and correct shower facilities, it's just so frustrating and so angering that United are you're hearing this stuff about decisions that United are making which are poor and reflect so badly in them especially when stuff like providing the women's team with adequate resources and facilities is just such an obvious thing to be doing and it I guess given everything that's happening with the men's team and the club in general in terms of underinvestment at Old Trafford and the way that money is taken out of the club it's comforting and also incredibly frustrating to hear that United have got an equal disregard apparently for the women's team. Yeah, I mean it's 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 difficult and you have to be careful what you believe because it does also appear that Casey Stoney's got a job offer from the US of A as well. So I agree that you know it doesn't sound satisfactory that the the way that they've been treated or the way the speed at which things are moving in terms of improving the issues they've they've had which is a bit depressing if I'm honest but yeah I mean it does sound like it's been pretty unsatisfactory overall and it's a shame isn't it you know it's a shame because largely they've been a really positive story haven't they in the last last three years absolutely I mean it it was Natalie over at All for United was talking about this. She's a member of the Barmy Army t- uh, group who go to watch every single United women game. And she mentioned something that I think a lot of United women supporters feel who noted that they weren't necessarily massive women football fans before United women's team came along. And that's obviously opened up a whole new thing and a whole new section of the fan base that have gotten to know each other and support this team. And it's incredibly frustrating because it, at the time, it felt like United were properly walking the walk. You know, it wasn't just going to be about tokenism or a quick PR win. It felt like they were actually going to back this team. And 
aspects like this, hearing things like this and reports from The Guardian and The Athletic and The Mail talking about how difficult it's been to to adequately support this team and how much they've struggled to properly back it. You know, it's no wonder we didn't finish in the top three this season. That's what we've been dealing with. If the training pictures are that bad, no wonder the likes of Alicia Russo and Tobin Heath and Kristen Press have been suffering with injury and illness. You know, it's ridiculous. It's it's just such a shame that, again, another United team are trying to succeed in spite of the conditions that they're being given when it comes to proper preparation and facilities. And it was one of those things where when the reformation happened three years ago, my biggest hope for it was that it was actually going to, there was going to be a point behind this team. Success was going to be the aim and actually creating a team that would stand the test of time and build towards something different. Now, admittedly at the end of this season, as I've spoken about plenty of times, you know, the fact that it's ended on such a sour note with those five defeats since the turn of the year is obviously clouding things to a certain extent, but it's no wonder we've had such troubles if this is what we've been dealing with. And it just feels like to a certain degree, some of the aspects of the season have been taken completely out of Stoney's hands. And that's incredibly frustrating. I know you mentioned she's got that job of her from the NWSL team over in San Diego, but I don't think as a mother of three, she was necessarily desperate to jump ship. I never got that sense prior to the last sort of four or five months that Stoney was desperate to leave the club and I do think it sounds you know there were reports suggesting that she was close to leaving several months ago and United up their investment at the risk of seeing her walk out but the damage had already been done by that stage Mm. I mean a point where United can barely afford any more bad PR and poor stories leaking out of the club to have this on top of everything else is just wow you know yeah I mean the one thing the one thing that always annoys me about stuff like this is that we've seen Stoney resign and suddenly everyone's throwing out pieces about all these issues that the the women's team have had this season which apparently nobody knew before she resigned now I've I, I absolutely no doubt they're not I, I don't think they should be training at the cliff why can't they train at Carrington why can't they can't they use the the, the new newer facilities the better facilities I mean that that in itself is is a big is a big issue and a big negative but I just always wonder why all these you know all the all of the media you know the same media outfits suddenly just come out with all this stuff they're saying yes it's been the case all season but we just didn't tell anybody so yeah it is it is just it sucks that they've not been treated well and it doesn't make any sense either because recruitment's largely been very good and they must have thrown a decent amount of money at it you know they must be paying some decent salaries for, for women's football to actually get themselves in that competitive position and they have they have signed really really well so it's 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 just one of the weird like one of the weird things that united do like they'll invest in one area and then undermine it by under investing in another area it's just so it's so nonsensical and and counterproductive mm. But we'll have to see what what happens from here and whether something changes. I mean, sometimes United do the right thing, and sometimes, and a lot of the time, they don't. And there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. So, God only knows what what what's going to happen from here. No, I mean, we still got. We're, we're going to end on a positive note, which is the contract extension for one Edinson Cavani. But before we get on to that, you know, we've got to talk a bit more. In, which is linking into what we've been speaking about here with the frustrations with the women's team in regards to overall where things are at with United you know obviously there were protests at Old Trafford again today not on the same level as the ones we saw originally a couple of weeks back but certainly notable enough in uh, the way in 
which they were attended and it's i don't know if you saw the interview uh, that sky sports did with charlie brooks who's our director of communications mm. now i'm gonna read this out to you and i just want just just see how this grabs you uh, i think people would be surprised that the owners do understand and are committed to the club that they are here for the long term and do have the club's best interest at heart and i think this has been allowed to build up to a situation where people don't acknowledge that i think there's a possibility that they certainly perhaps joel and avi do really enjoy owning a football club and it sounds like joel is very very hands-on in terms of decision making at the club but i think that they are far too removed from english football and from the club in itself to a degree where i'm not sure they they actually know what the best for united is other than you know other than their ability to remove money from it you know i think one of the one of the worst things after all the financial jiggery pokery is the fact that they've never been willing to bring in actual expertise to key roles at the club mm. i mean today there's even talk of richard and i'll taking over from ed woodward so it's all just about hiring from within isn't it it's not actually putting experts in from football in these positions yeah i mean i don't i don't know if richard arnold i don't, I don't know an enormous amount about richard arnold or, or how competent he is so i don't want to immediately uh, damn him from the start but but there is just this thing i don't i don't think they understand the need for for competence it's not a money issue because you know Ed, edward ward has been phenomenally well paid or you know a lot a lot of the um sort of key executive figures there are are phenomenally phenomenally well paid so it's not it's not just a pure investment thing i think it's just a just an inability to see that in football you know particularly in europe you need you need expertise in the management of a football club. And that is, it, again, it does, it's not even just about money because if you had that expertise, the reality is they probably have made more money over over the last 15 years, 16 years. So it just, I, I, I do think that at least, at least a couple of them think they love United and think they're doing what is best for United alongside doing what is best for themselves. But I don't think they've ever actually taken the time to really understand what the best for United is. And they've never been willing to listen to the fans. Um, They've been completely tone deaf to all criticism, constructive or otherwise, not just from United fans, but from from across the footballing world. I I don't want to criticise any individual that works for them for saying something because they work for them and ultimately they're in a difficult position, aren't they? But yeah, I, I don't think he's he's entirely wrong on in a literal sense. But unfortunately, the lack of actual interest in the things that matter, and and listening to other to people when they offer wise advice just doesn't happen. Um, they're just they're very they're clearly very blinkered and too far removed. You know, if you're never at the club, if you're never over in this country, you're never really face to face talking to people that that matter, talking to people that can can advise you. That's just massively exaggerated. If you appoint a a banker as your deputy, whatever he was, vice president, and and essentially leave him as director of football for fifteen years. Yeah, I mean, another note is that Brooks also mentioned uh, one of the things that the Glazers apparently led in terms of initiative was not furloughing staff. Like that's a thing that United should be applauded for, given the fact that Spurs and Liverpool tried to do it. I mean, in comparison with them, yes, that was a good move, but it should have been a basic 
decision regardless obviously the optics of it are completely ridiculous and that given the amount of money that united turn over not furloughing staff at that stage should have been incredibly straightforward a decision it should like, I, I, it should but also i think I, I i don't you know i don't want to be seen as criticizing united for absolutely everything i do think we we behaved very very responsibly and very well during the pandemic itself you know paying paying contract staff that that don't actually work for United. They, they work for for contractors. You know, there, there's a lot that United did during the pandemic that was the right thing to do, and it wasn't necessarily what everybody else did. It just it just amuses me that United makes, as I said, they make some decisions which are which are really positive, and that was one. You know, another the way the way that the academy has been restructured and financed is is a real positive. I mean, the, the under 18s just got pipped at the post to winning the academy league north by City which all essentially came down to a, a very, very late winning goal for a terrible Newcastle side about two weeks before the final game of the season. But 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 what they what we what the club's done with the Academy is, is brilliant. So it just baffles me sometimes that the that the club can identify things that need to be addressed and they can do the right thing. But then in other things it's, it seems like they're just completely deaf to to anything. You know, just the, the sort of state that Old Trafford's kind of declining into and you know even though they're saying they're going to do something about it now but I wouldn't hold my breath and it just says to me that you've got these owners who are over in in America and they don't really have any conception of what the club needs really it wouldn't surprise me if kind of Edward Ward's got strong on them armed them into doing stuff for the academy or whatever else but they're just they're just removed and so you get this really dysfunctional decision making process which you know it's little it's little edges like that 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 are the difference between a really high functioning institution, footballing institution, and ones that just fall that fall short because they don't they don't do the details. Well, I think one of the things with the Glazers in particular, because obviously they're so far removed from us being where they are, and because we so very rarely see them, it's down to the likes of Woodward slash Arnold, etc., to actually properly lay out what the club needs. Because obviously they're the ones that see the players, they're in contact with the managers, you know, at various different age levels and groups and designations to know what it is they require. And if, you know, the likes of Murtaugh, as as it seems to have been uh, discussed, that he was promising the facility changes for United Women that never came through. You know, if this stuff isn't properly communicated and there's no real decision making from up high that will help out, then you know, it's got to be down to a competent chief executive to lay these things out, you know, and... I'm not, I'm not bailing the Glazers out by any stretch of the imagination, but better people in those positions make things happen, right? And, mm. you know, I'm still very, very cautious. And I think this is one of the things when it comes to the ongoing protests. You know, we did see in the past week uh, Joel Glazer making his response to, you know, within just about the space of the week to MUST, speaking about you know, all of the requirements that we have in terms of trying to get, uh, you know, shares for fans to buy and to actually start having some sort of say in the running of the club. You know, I know that's a whole separate conversation, but it's important that the question was at least posed and talking about updates to the surrounding area around Old Trafford and the stadium itself to stop it from leaking because it was doing that again over the course of the last week. It was intriguing to see that Glazer, member of the family, actually bothering to speak out and there's talk of Joel actually... Um, attending a fans forum after the season's over you know, which would be in a couple of weeks why didn't you attend, attend the one that was last week god knows i mean i, I am 
this is one of the things going back to the way that protests are going to continue. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them happen for the Fulham game next week as well. Until the Glazers actually do things, until they actually put their money where their mouth is, and we know they've got a lot of it, I don't think this anger goes away. I don't think the dissatisfaction goes away. I don't think the protests go away, not properly. And given that this will be the first game since the derby in, what, March of 2020 that will have fans back at Old Trafford, it's an an opportunity for a lot of people to make their feelings very clear on the way that United is currently run. And it's going to be another bad night of optics for the Glazers until they actually take concrete steps to do things and talk about plans and where money is going to go, what's going to be changed. You know, they can talk about, you know, we're, we're putting plans in process to change all these things up if they if they wanted to they could be making bigger steps and committing money forward and saying this is what we're going to do straight away until they actually do something tangible and give us an actual reason to start believing that they might be concerned with the way things are going at the club and in terms of actually trying to understand the fan anger it it's not going away not at all no it's not i do wonder how they're going to handle the fulham game because you know, quite clearly, I, I'm pretty sure if if they had the opportunity, the, the the fans would have been in and on the pitch again tonight. Um, and it just looks like they just didn't have that option. You know, you got Fulham, which is supposed to be the first game in which United can have ten thousand fans in the stadium. So I think it's I think it's up up to five hundred away fans, isn't it? And and nine and a half thousand um, home fans. How do you pick who the home fans are, and how do you stop them from going on the pitch and trying to get the game called off again <laughs> i mean if there's a desire for it you don't <laughs> well yeah i mean you know I, I, i'm i'm at a bit of a i i think the 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 protest the other night the other that got the first game cancelled was absolutely brilliant you know i think it needed to be something that wasn't just easily brushed off but with five second click on the news of united fans were protesting again but here's the game I think what happened actually getting the game called off meant that it, there was far more coverage, there was far more discussion about it, and it really moved the issue towards the spotlight. But obviously, you had a couple of very isolated incidents where a policeman got hurt and where the camera stuff was was smashed up. I think if that happens too often, then you lose your high ground, even though it's a very, very, very small minority of people. And I was a bit concerned that the you know, if if the game had been disrupted again tonight and called off, I couldn't really see how that could happen tonight without there being some degree of aggression and, and possibly a bit of violence. And so I was I was almost like, yay, this is great that we're protesting again and we've got to keep going, got to keep this up. But we're walking such a fine line in terms of keeping the issue in the spotlight and also sort of retaining the moral high ground that we've, to a degree, managed to build up because of the Super League and because of the sort of great wider knowledge of the issues that the Glazers have caused at United. It's really difficult. I understand the sentiment of what you're saying, but I also think in terms of the overarching nature of protest, I think it's incredibly difficult to police the emotions and actions of that many people. Yeah, in yeah I go. agree. So I agree, yeah. I, I, I'm not saying that I want to see stuff smashed. You know, and Paul was speaking about this on the No Question about that podcast. Everyone's got different lines when it comes to these sort of uh, activities, and you know, it, it's up for any of a United fan to figure out where their line is when it comes to how far they want to push things when they're in that kind of environment. Mm. I would still say that 
when it comes to Glazer protests, the ends justify the means to an extent. You know, mm. I, I I don't see a better way of getting heard. You know, every you know I I get it. You know, when it comes to bad press, bad looks, bad optics. You know, it it, it can be difficult to fight against the tide when it comes to you know, equipment getting smashed or clashes with police because, as we all know, it's not a fantastic look. It's not going to really garner sympathy. But I don't think it's necessarily about garnering sympathy. I think it's far more to do with making a statement to the Glazers in terms of their ownership and the fact that they're, you know, they're not welcome here. You know, it, United fans are clearly at a point now and as, you know, and I fully get it, where they are putting their feelings in terms of what happens on the pitch far behind the priority of actually making a statement to the Glazers. It's been brewing for so long, and especially with what happened with the Super League, mm. that reached a boiling point where we got the protest with Liverpool. And however you feel about the knock-on effect to Solskjaer and the team, etc., you can't fault the reasoning and the sentiment behind the protests. No, you know, no well, not at all. And you know we've spoken about this a lot in uh, at length, you know, and it's it's been a long week, Rich. So why don't we end with good news? The the best, probably the best piece of news of the week, other than beating Villa, a new contract for Edinson Cavani. You know, I'd say that probably bonks on the head any move, potential move for Harry Kane or uh, Haaland this summer, which seemed like a bit of a long shot at best. I mean. I've got to admit, he's had a great couple of weeks. I've very much enjoyed watching him. Uh, what about you? How are you feeling about it? Yeah, I'm very positive. I, I think one of the one of the big worries was that if you look at this United, I think that I think there are now three positions for next season that are in significant need of upgrade. And I think if you upgrade any of those positions, then you can take quite a, a significant step forward if you get the right player. If we'd have lost Cavani, we'd have been looking at you know, potentially going backwards because we, we'd not only need to buy a, to get a fourth player, which I don't think is realistic for this summer, but you're also going to lose what he's given us in the last two or three months, which has been really, really fundamentally important. That was a big relief, really. I mean, I said, I, I, I wrote on Twitter six weeks ago that if United were to lose Cavani and Pogba, they both provide things that I think would be almost impossible to replace, both in terms of kind of their quality and also the, their particular skills. Um, that they, they would have been almost impossible to replace this summer. You know, it kind of gave me nightmares of United actually going backwards in the summer in, in some respects. So for him to have signed on for another year, I mean, I only realised that uh, at the weekend that he's younger than Jamie Vardy. He's clearly in phenomenal physical shape. And he doesn't appear to have lost anything in terms of his sharpness and his the qualities that have made him a, a fantastic striker. Um, so I think it's I think it's a really positive move for United to have done that, and it allows them to focus their spending this summer on, on other areas that really really do need it the investment. Yeah, I mean it's very clear that he will be commanding the big bucks. I think that's that's yeah. kind of offset by the fact we haven't had to pay a transfer fee for him and. But I, I, I think it's credit to his quality and also the way that he suits what Solskjaer's trying to do. The, you know, two months ago when you were thinking about what happens to Cavani in the summer, we were probably thinking, 
well, you know, he scored some good goals for us, some useful goals, but I'm not necessarily sure I'd be desperate to keep him. You yeah. know, fast forward yeah. to now, and it, it's a great bit of business, isn't it? You know, mm. and it does make me wonder a couple of things. Number one, what would have happened if we'd brought him in a bit sooner in the summer and he'd had a bit more time to get used to the team as opposed to being dropped in about, what, a fifth of the way through the season? Mm. You know, obviously there's there's mitigation to a degree when it comes to injuries and also his ban for using racially insensitive language. But I do wonder what it's going to look like when we've got him for a full year and what it how it works with you know martial and greenwood in terms of who is going to have to make a concession either to go out on the left or the right or through the middle or whatever but i i think it it, it's a great bit of business you know i think it's incredibly impressive that he's feeling enough strength of you know unity at the club and the team and that they've been encouraging him to stay for another year and solskjaer's clearly done a good job in terms of getting in his ear and saying united you know old trafford is amazing if you can score in front of the stretford end and the fans all love you i mean it was so sweet hearing him do his little give it give it get it to anita cavani goal that was absolutely gorgeous i enjoyed that so much in his interview which should very much be watched if you're interested um and i think the importance i mean we've spoken about his ability to set goals up and especially his scoring at the minute you know you compare with some of the other center forwards the aging center forwards or you know the, the players that we've had playing through the middle over the last couple of years you know we think specifically of ibrahimovic and lukaku as has been spoken about before, Ibrahimovic made it so we would potentially be more likely to win games. And again, this is something that I've been thinking about for a while. And again, Paul, no question about that, spoke about. He didn't necessarily make us a better side. And when we played with Lukaku, again, you know, he'd scored a good amount of goals for us. But could you say hand on heart that he turned us into a better team with his presence? Cavani, I think, dovetails incredibly well with Rashford and Greenwood and Fernandes and Pogba. They all understand his movements particularly well. They're assisting as well. He is making them better players, and Rashford in particular is crossing. I mean, he's got three goals, Cavani, three-headed goals, just from Rashford crosses so far this season. Mm. The players around him are improving in terms of their ability to provide for each other. As a direct result, I think, of playing with Cavani, you know, and it that is what you want to see that that's what you hope for a player who's in his mid-30s and you know obviously we've got to bring into the the equation that he's going to be going to the Copa America this year so uh, I mean that's another layer of complexity in, in an already difficult situation and just what sort of state he's going to be in when he returns but if he can stay fit and firing you wouldn't bet against him getting over 20 goals next season he's got 15 with three games left it's not bad is it it's not well I mean you know imagine if, if United hypothetically did sign say Jaden Sancho this this summer you've immediately got another player who can provide the sort of service that Cavani should absolutely thrive on and Greenwood's been playing there, and he's definitely improved in that regard. But for, for me, another year of Cavani suggests it is a real opportunity for United to try and phase Greenwood into playing as a central striker, as an alternative to Cavani, and then, say, using a Sancho as your first choice right winger or whatever. Um, it gives United lots of options. And we, we know that if we if we provide good service into him, he's going to score goals because his movement... Is absolutely exceptional, and his 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 finishing is is pretty good as well. I, th- I think I saw yesterday that Cavani's got the highest shots to goal ratio in the Premier League at the moment, which is pretty impressive. I do think overall it's a real positive for us to have kept him for for a year, and I hope that 
I mean, I, 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 wanted, I wanted him to say, stay just so we can, for the first time, hear a full Stratford End singing Give It, Give It, Give It, because that was, and I, I'm, I'm really intrigued as to whether they'll sing it, sing it in, a, in, a, in a serious manner or in a camp manner, as it was originally devised. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's got to be camp, right? You'd Otherwise, so, what's yeah. the point? You'd hope so, but, but I, I can't really recall kind of 20,000 football fans singing any song in an in incredibly camp tone. At a football match, so it could be quite amusing. Gosh, I mean, I think that's pretty much it, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it, what a week! It's not even over yet either. A nice break now for United and indeed us, because I feel exhausted. I'm not even played anything mm. uh, before Fulham on Tuesday, and then it's away at Wolves, and three days after that, you've got the Europa League final. So, who knows what we're going to see in the next two games um in preparation for that big game right at the end of the month mm. i think united more than anything else i think they just need to step away and have a recharge and do a bit of training and hopefully you know i think you're right i think being able to get the the first 11 the first available 11 obviously without Maguire playing against Fulham and back with a little bit of confidence will be key I think that'll be really big for us and to mm. have lost two games back to back at home over the space of 48 hours not ideal so no. ending the home season on a high will be a key thing for us going into next year when we'll have fans back and I think it'll become a bit easier after that you know we'll see what happens with the women's side you know we're, we're going to hear shortly I'd imagine in the next couple of weeks about a replacement but everything's up in the air for mm. them you know there's talk of Lauren James leaving over the course of the summer to Chelsea I would be stunned if Tobin Heath and Kristen Press re-sign at this stage because it seems like Press is already back in America Tobin Heath obviously went a little while back with her injury and it seems like they're not minded to return and based on what we've been hearing this week I'm not sure I can blame them there's a lot up in the air for men's team in terms of what happens with recruitment and you know that's a question for another stage but I think now that this four game run is over it's just a chance to take a breath and mentally prepare for a big game at the end of the month right Mm. yeah I think it's just getting these last two games out of the way with the right balance isn't it and keeping having them fresh mentally and physically but also not losing too much of an edge and with my epiphany in mind um I really, really hope we go into that Villarreal game not thinking we're favourites here. If we just, you know, just do our stuff, we'll win because I think it's going to be a lot harder than that. Mm. Well, for here's hoping we don't, but I guess we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So let's let's hope the last podcast of the season when it comes to analysing it. And we're actually talking about lifting a trophy for the first time since 2017. But Mm. that's for future you and Rich to deal with. I mean, don't forget, you know, it's May 26th. So Matt Busby and myself will be sharing a birthday on that fateful day. So they better not f*** it up for me, put it that way. Mm. Anyway, let's get out of here. Pleasure as always. Indeed. Guys, thank you so much for listening. It's hugely appreciated as ever. And if you want to let us know how much you appreciate it, there's one very important thing you could do, which is if you're listening on the likes of Spotify or iTunes or any subscription-based Apple or sorry, podcasting app, leave a review, write a subscription or a rating, anything along those lines, or tell your friends about us if you think they might enjoy it, of course. That's always hugely helpful and make sure that we get out to as many people as we possibly can. In the meantime, don't forget you can always talk to us on Twitter. Should you be so inclined, you can get Rich at Rich Red Voices, me at You and Like This, and the podcast itself at Red Voices MUFC. Have a bit of a rest this week is my guidance to you all. (laughs) Take care of yourselves. Bye. Bye.